obviously we didn't play clean baseball every day. And so we all know that. And we all want to address what we need to fix and, and come back in the 2021 uh, better. So uh, we're all just looking forward to getting back to the offseason, getting back to the drawing board and uh, coming back in 2021 and, you know, trying to be that playoff team that that we all know we can be. And it's easier, you know, said than done. We know it's a lot of work that we need to do. So uh, we can't wait to uh, go out and put in that work so we can go do it. Each and every one of us, including myself, is going to, uh, is going to take all the lessons uh, that this season has taught us and, and apply it for next year. I know it's um, I, I hate saying that because I, I, I want to play past tomorrow. Like, I, and I know that uh, all the, all those guys in that room want to play past tomorrow, but that's um, I mean, we just, just didn't do it. And um, that's, that's a reality we have to face. It's a tough pill to swallow, but um our only option is to is to learn and move on to next year. Hopefully next year will be better and, and we're all looking for looking forward to the future and, and uh we're all hanging on to hope. Thank you guys and uh I love the Mets. I've always loved the Mets since I was since I was a kid and appreciate the opportunity. Welcome back. Uh, we have got news this morning uh, about the, the, the Sandy Alderson return to the Mets, which has been reported on earlier in the week, I think by SNY first, and then other people chimed in. Uh, that is now official, that uh, if, in fact, Steve Cohen is, go- is approved as the Mets' next owner, that Sandy Alderson is going to be back as team president, uh, overseeing both baseball ops and business ops, that's a big deal. Um, I think it's certainly because Sandy Alderson is someone well known to baseball owners uh, as being a you know a steady hand at the wheel. Um, I, I think you know that that might help Steve's chances for getting approved by any owners who might have some concerns about whether or not Steve was going to come in and do crazy stuff because that's not Sandy, Sandy's mo. Uh, and I think it also absolutely signals you're going to have a massive change coming up in the Mets front office. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, September the 27th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well... You heard from Dom Smith, you heard from Pete Alonzo, you even heard from uh, Rick Porcello, but the most honest words and the theme of the show is it's the Welcome Back Sandy Alderson show, I can't believe I'm saying it, was from Buster Olney of ESPN, as you heard. Steve Cohen can't do anything crazy, so Sandy Alderson's coming in and he's well-respected by Major League Baseball, and it should help him get approved. Uh, Joining me in just a little bit, we're going to talk about the potential new Mets owner and what to expect and the process and the crazy process of him getting approved and uh, actually this deal going down. Joe Pantorno of AM New York. Uh, if you remember Joe, join me oh, probably around New Year before all hell broke loose with sign stealing and the ownership deal falling apart and manager one, manager two, pandemic, all the other stuff. So a lot has gone on since the last time we spoke to Joe, but he'll be joining me in just a bit. Had a chance to catch up with him right before the Mets took on the Nats in their season finale. And um, and that's where you're at. Uh, look, uh, before I get to what clearly was an unacceptable showing by the 2020 Mets, uh, not a surprising one as uh, you know, March went into the pandemic and the, the loss of Noah Syndergaard and the opt-out of Mark Stroman and how badly both the bullpen and the starting rotation performed. None of the uh, final results really surprised me. As I said all along, 
the Mets were performing like a 90-loss team uh, with the way they're starting pitching with an ERA well over six throughout the summer uh, had performed. So, you know, we'll get to that. But if there was a word to describe the first move, oh, potential move, because he hasn't been approved as owner by Steve Cohen, uh, hiring Sandy Alderson as his uh, baseball operations, so as VP of whatever business, whatever you want to call it. He's basically the team president. I also think you could call him a liaison to ownership. It's not an inspiring move. Sandy Alderson is not an inspiring, let's move forward with a new era of Mets baseball. It's basically back to the future. It's the equivalent of buying a really safe insurance policy instead of going on that Caribbean vacation. It's not the best way to start an era where I think everybody's ready to get the next step, wipe the slate clean, the dark cloud that's been hanging over this franchise for a long time under Will Pond ownership. Uh, bringing in Sandy Alderson is not exactly the way to invigorate the fan base um, and feel like there are better days ahead. I hate to say it. I mean, that was my first reaction, and I don't think anything has changed over the last you know three or four days. Now, I understand why it's important, and I get why he's doing it. You know, Steve Cohen's no idiot. He knows that they have to play ball to get into the club. And Major League Baseball and its owners, and it's 29 owners, if you take him out, it's a club. It's like a country club. And you have to play by certain rules, and everybody's got this thanks to the media, who really nobody knows who Steve Cohen is. The media could say all they want. All they know is he's got $14 billion, and he's been investigated for insider trading. So you can make a lot of assumptions by both of those facts, but nobody really knows. Nobody's done any investigative research. I've actually read a little bit about him in a book called Black Edge. And even that, you know, gives you a little bit of an inkling. And I haven't gotten through the whole book, but which is more of an FBI book, more of a, a crime book or an investigative type of book than it is about Steve Cohen. But the first few chapters actually go into who he is. And I've talked about that in prior podcasts. Uh, but the the fact is that now that you've brought in someone like Sandy Alderson, an old baseball guard, a guy who's really not a baseball guy anymore, he's more of a, a business guy, a guy that knows his way around baseball, knows his way, way around around building an organization, uh, you know, an old Marine, knows how to organize, knows how to delegate. Those are all good things, and those are things that are necessary. And quite honestly, I'm not sure Brody Van Wagenen in, in his skill set Team president is not exactly where he's at. You know, Brody Van Wagen is a sales guy. He's an action guy. He's much more like a GM, a much more negotiator. Uh, you know, guy's a deal maker than he would be what Sandy Alderson is. And that's why I think Brody Van Wagenen is that much more important now. And I just don't see how. And I know that the talk is is, and Joe has reported that, and we'll ask him his thoughts when he comes on. That you know now that Alderson is going to be the guy, if and when, and it will be. Steve Cohen will get approved. Forget about sexual harassment. Forget about uh, insider trading and SCC and all the other stuff that's happened and the fines. This is now, now that Sandy's in. Sandy's just there to make sure that Steve Cohen knows how to play by the rules. That he doesn't come in and start to you know go off script or go too outside the lines and upset the apple cart. Because baseball has their little thing going, especially with a collective bargaining agreement in the very near future. You always ask me why I don't focus on ownership. I've had that criticism throughout. And I think it ties in to have that quick comment before I get into Sandy. The reason why I don't talk a lot and criticize ownership, because that's an old hat. That's an easy old hat. And we all know that they weren't great owners. We all know that they financially, the way they ran the team, transaction to transaction, day by day, living day by day, wasn't a good financial business strategy. They put the Mets at a disadvantage. Every GM who's been uh, with this team under Wilpon ownership, all the way back to Steve Phillips and Jim Duquette, have had the same albatross around them. Brody's no different. So for me to focus on that, and to talk about that every podcast and go back to it with every conversation is a waste of time. I was always about, well, how can the person in charge, how can they win knowing that this is the lot that they have in front of them? And you can win. It's harder. And clearly it's not consistent. And the Mets, over the last 15 to 20 years, you've seen exactly that in terms of the results. But there's also, as we 
celebrate Sandy Alderson coming back as if this is some great baseball guy that was under the servitude of the Wilpon uh, family, and, and he couldn't get anything done throughout his eight years in the Mets front office because of Jeff Wilpon. I think that's a lot of revisionist history, a lot of revisionist history. It almost is as if Sandy Alderson is an innocent bystander in his own performance. Let's not forget, in 2015, it was basically 12 good weeks starting July 31st when he stumbled into the Ioannis Cespedes deal. That was not the deal he wanted. It was Carlos Gomez. It was even Jay Bruce before it was Cespedes. And he happened to be able to make the right deal. He's traded from an excess of starting pitching with Michael Fulmer. And he got lucky. And the Mets were opportunistic. And they took and give that team credit. They saw an opening, they took it, and they ran with it. And they almost ran with it to a championship. And if not for some bad bullpen management in the World Series by the manager, a predictable bad bullpen series that I talked about for years leading up to that, they probably would have a championship. And maybe things are a lot different today. He almost traded Zach Wheeler for Jay Bruce. And he almost traded on the second attempt to get Zach Bruce, Brandon Nimmo. Both would have been bad deals. Even though Jay Bruce was a decent Met, uh, those are not the kind of talents that you want to give up for a one-dimensional type of player. He had a very uninspiring 2016 offseason going into the, uh, you know, right after the pennant. And I know that, you know, Cespedes held things up, and I understand, again, the budget and the money and all that stuff as the pitchers became more expensive. But making Ben Zobrish your only real acquisition and then failing at that and not being able to pivot and the pivot being Neil Walker and letting Daniel Murphy on a very reasonable contract walk. And I wasn't, I was the one that was okay with going after Zobris. I felt Zobris was a better overall player. Could not have seen MVP numbers from Murphy. But maybe they needed to have a little bit more awareness about how important Murphy was to that group. You had the failures of 27 and 2018. Look at some of those rosters. Look at the direction they went. You're just going to blame budget and money? It's nothing to do with Sandy Alderson and his people and the kind of uh, players they brought in, the kind of veterans they brought in, how the farm system really hasn't yielded anything. Yes, it yielded Gazelman and and Lugo and helped them get to the postseason in 2016, but it wasn't until really like mid to late 2018 that you started to see some of the farm system that now you're seeing with Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo and guys like that start to yield something. Let's remember, this is still the same farm system that has yet to develop any kind of bullpen arms. Anything. In 10 years, you can't get one guy that could not only just... I'm not talking about a closer here. That could get somebody out in the sixth inning. Not one guy. And let's not forget that Cindy Olderson is the guy that hired Mickey Calloway, who I think got a raw deal, who I think probably wasn't really built for New York. Um, and wasn't ready for what came with the managerial job on many different levels. And you've heard communication was always a, a big issue with Mickey. And, you know, that's what teams need and want, and players need and want. So you start to look at what his tenure was, and we understand when he came in, the Mets were, Omar Manaya was a scout who was acting as an executive. He just, you know, he's better in the role he's in now. He's not an organizational guy. He's not a structured guy. He's not a guy that could uh, lead and and delegate and and put people together and be able to one to take all the information and and be that liaison to management because that's where Sandy Alderson is going to be very important in all this. Steve Cohen is not Jeff Wilpon. He's not going to have a, a an office and go there every day in City Field. He's out making money in a very competitive shark infested waters of Wall Street. That's how he's become very rich. It's not, you know, waking up every morning wondering if uh, the Mets are going to acquire a a lefty out of the bullpen. He's going to be very involved, and it's going to be his toy, and he's going to go to the games, and he's going to be in meetings. He's going to be involved, but it's not going to be the Jeff Wilpon involvement. Sandy, to me, his role, if this is the role, and I think this is what it's being crafted as, is as the ownership point person, obviously the VP of the team, But he's not going to be the GM, nor do I believe, other than having his overall thought process of where where he wants the team to go, 
I do not believe he should be setting the tone as far as what goes on on the field because I don't think he can anymore. I think he's antiquated, and I think he's out of touch. I think he was out of touch borderline in 2015, 2016. When he came in in 2010, the league was changing. He was considered modernized and moneyball. By the time 2015, 2016 came around, he was already behind the curve. This league has changed in just three, four years. Just look at it. Look at the kind of people that are in the, in the game. Look at how stats and technology are being used. None of this was being pioneered by the Mets. And you want to talk about it being just the owner? Yeah, I get it. It's about the money and the financials. But you know what? When he came in in 2010, Sandy Alderson had a, basically a three- or four-year purgatory where they weren't going to spend any money. They weren't signing any free agents, and nobody expected them to win. He could have tried to implement some or all of these things in some way, shape, or form. But he didn't, because I don't think he really knew how. And then you hear people say, well, maybe he'll bring back John Rico. Maybe he'll bring back J.P. Ricciardi. What are you just going to... Paul D. Podesta, who's in, in the NFL right now. What are you just going to go back to 2010? That's going backwards. So... Before you get excited about all this and think that Sandy's going to go in and he has this Midas touch, I haven't seen the Midas touch. I haven't seen it at all. And all I think and what I hope, this very uninspiring move, a guy who's very arrogant, very poor speaker, bring, exudes no confidence in the organization when he goes out there. He just lectures the media. And I know he got sick and... and Thankfully, he's overcome his illness. Cancer is horrible and should not be taken lightly. And maybe that had a lot to do with what happened the last couple of years on the job, how poorly he spoke, how poorly he presented himself, how difficult things were for him. And the guy fainted in front of the reporters. We know that had to do with his health. There's nothing funny about that. The only thing I can hope that's positive out of this is that he can be that ownership voice and that bridge similar to how the manager has to be that bridge between the players and the front office Sandy could be that for ownership and obviously run a little point person on baseball and guide Cohen on how to manage these egocentric owners who you know it's all good baseball when it's their little rules but as soon as someone new comes in and a team that should be spending and should be muscling their way to the top now I was like, oh, hold on a minute. Who are you? And that's just typical baseball. Backwards as anything. Clickish as anything. Old school, good old boys network as anything. No matter what they tell you. Knowing that you don't really have an up-to-date baseball guy. And a guy who I really don't think could do anything dynamic. Why would you make wholesale changes right now? Why would you fire Brody Van Wagenen? Like, think about that. Organizational meetings have to start now. This whole approval process may drag until mid-November. It's not going to happen during the playoffs. You're going to start organizational planning on Thanksgiving? December 1st, you're going to be behind everybody. Now, I don't think this is going to be a busy offseason. I think it's going to be the nuclear baseball winter. I think players better buckle up. I don't think they're ready to... Economically, and I've said this time and time and time again, they are not ready to see what's in front of them, with attendance being, you know, something that they really don't know what's going to be, what's going to look like. Uh, player development's a wash. Nobody really got any chance to see anybody uh, perform in any kind, in my opinion, real scenarios. I don't want to hear about alternate sites and all that. Uh, you know, that's not real. Those are simulated games. So we may have a nuclear winter, so it may not matter as much as it would in other off-seasons. And sure, teams are, if you're not a contender right now, like a Pittsburgh, you're not going to go out and, and, and do much. You're not going to really want to trade your prospects. Uh, I don't know how much you would feel comfortable trading any asset you had unless you had to for prospects, considering you didn't have a chance to see any of these guys. Everything is very much unknown. Everything is very much up in the air. So I think everybody's going to be stagnant, and it's about what your roster is and how you can improve going forward. And that's right in Brody Van Wagen's wheelhouse because I think you could get a lot of deals out there, whether it be in free agency or teams looking to pair payroll. I think there's deals to be had. I think you have a guy that's started to build with the same 
absolutely 110% same challenges that Sandy had, started to build some analytics and 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 new voices and new people. Uh, Jared Banner, who has been uh, cited as a, a bright young mind coming into the, uh, the league, that was a Brody hire. You know, Adam Gutridge, who has been respected in the blogosphere, that's an analytics guy. That's a Brody hire. So they have guys here that they can use uh, that can help them continue to build what they're trying to build. They found underutilized assets like Chase and Shreve, who had a nice year, and J.D. Davis. They've been wrong on a lot. But you know what? That's what looking at underutilized assets is. And and let's face it, none of those guys in the analytics department or Brody could have built a team that, in my opinion, could have withstood losing, understanding they let Wheeler walk, losing Stroman, losing Syndergaard, and having a Steven Matz that basically didn't show up with a 10 ERA. Last year, you had four pitchers in the top 25 and all in baseball with kind of advanced analytics, depending on how you looked at them, with FIP, war, whatever. Now you have one in Jacob deGrom. You only have one pitcher, and you could argue you only have one pitcher. Peterson's a young pitcher, and he was very impressive. But if you had to take a bet who's going to get you into the seventh inning, the other four guys are more than likely to get knocked out in the second or third inning before they get you to the seventh inning. And that's where you are right now, and that's scary. Because no matter how much offense, and make no mistake about it, the Mets this year had a top five in all of baseball from a runs creation, again, offense. And that's with them through the first, eh, what, three weeks of the season, two and a half weeks of the season, not hitting with runners in scoring position. The pitching is completely collapsed. We know that that has an expiration date. And that milk expired fabulously quick. Going into this offseason, you need two to three arms in the starting rotation. You need to rethink the bullpen. The walks are insane. What, they have 11, 12 walks today? They have, I think they're fourth in the league in walks out of the bullpen. Everybody walks four or five per nine. It's just not acceptable. And you could look. There's always those shiny objects. We talked about that last week. And I'm still debating, is Real Muto the kind of guy that can help both on improving the offense that's already good, but also bringing the defensive component that they severely lack behind the plate, which could be contributing to some of the problems. But with this hip issue, the fact that he's DH'd and played first more this year in his 60-game year than in any other season, I start to think about that. But in the end, if the Mets decide under Sandy Alderson, if Steve Cohen decides that Sandy Alderson is going to be the guy that's you know, going to go out there and be his baseball guy, realize that you're putting somewhat of an antiquated man in charge, a guy that Michael Conforto really didn't develop till after he left. And Dom Smith was a mess under Sandy Alderson. And look, I was a big Kevin Long supporter. I was even tempted to support him for the managerial position. But the more you look at the game and the more you look at this launch angle, pull everything, swing, the more you could see it's going to destroy players. And the more you could see that both Dom Smith and Michael Conforto are both perfect examples of players as they started to approach their craft differently. Hit the ball the other way. Focus on hitting line drives rather than trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Guess what? Look at Pete Alonso last couple of nights. Some of those line drives that he hit, they went out of the ballpark. They will. You don't have to hit moonshots up into the upper deck. And you'd be surprised when you try to hit line drives, some of those turn into moonshots in the upper deck. So if he's going to come back with that same philosophy, home run hitters, launch angle, walk offense, you know, continue to bring in pitchers, and Brody's done this too, they just throw a million miles an hour, but walk the ballpark, you're going to have the same bad, boring baseball that you had in 60 games, except you're going to have it for 162 games. And we're all going to applaud about this, you know, stately guy that's worked for baseball for a trillion years, you know, who knows where the bodies are buried in that commissioner's office. To me, it's not changing anything. It's not changing a darn thing. Only thing is, now you have a wallet behind it. And maybe that'll cover up some of it, but you're not going to get any further where you want to be. And you know know what? The Mets need to be bold this offseason. Not just going out and signing people there's two ways you can go. You can go out and sign and be splashy, and that could be irresponsible. Or you could be really boring and just invest in infrastructure in the back end. Neither one of those, those things are good. There has to be a balance. They should be investing in back end infrastructure and analytics and technology 
and, and kind of putting a budget together that's not move by move, day by day, month by month. But you got to go out there and invest in this offense. Now you've got the part of the team developed with young, in prime, early prime in some cases, hitters that have a longer expiration date than anything you could have gotten out of Harvey, DeCrom, Mats, Wheeler, Syndergaard. Because you knew once those guys came up, the clock was ticking on their health. The clock was ticking on them becoming expensive. You thought you had three, four years. With offense, you could have a hell of a lot more. Look at the Cubs. They had a little blip on the road last year. They're right back. It's because of their offense. They went out and bought some pitching. And we'll get into that as we get into other podcasts this offseason. I don't want to get too deep into what needs to happen. We'll get into that. But offense, to me, is a much better bet to build your team on. You need pitching. But understand, the pitching you need to be able to figure it out and capitalize on in a very short window. When you build your bedrock on it, the Mets were forced to make some moves, especially in those subsequent years after their 2015 pennant that maybe you could have made different types of moves and less risky moves if it was built on the longer expiration date of offense. But that's another story, another conversation for another day. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what's going on here with Steve Cohen. Sandy Alderson is his new team president, baseball ops guy, whatever you want to call him. Joe Panterno, AM New York. You guys probably remember him from back earlier in the year when Steve Cohen first took over the first negotiations and we talked Great sources. If you're not following him on Twitter, at Joe Panterno, you should be. Does great coverage of the Mets, great coverage of the Islanders, and has been breaking news about Steve Cohen from the start. So he's a cluding guy. He's a guy that you should pay attention to. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, Joe Panterno, AM New York, and we'll talk a little bit more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. I'm joined by the sports editor at AM New York, Joe Pantorno. You guys uh, may remember him. We talked to him, oh, I guess it was early this year, maybe late last year, right around the holidays, right after uh, everything broke down when the Mets' uh, ownership situation was thrown into some chaos. A lot has happened, sign-stealing, new managers, a pandemic, a shortened baseball season. But what's funny, Joe, and it's Joe Pantorno uh, with us, we're kind of back where we were the last time we talked. It's amazing how this uh, all works out. Welcome on board, and how you doing? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's funny how these things kind of work out. So much has changed, but uh, at the same time, at least for the Mets, uh, not much has changed since the last time we've spoken. And, uh, yeah, again, hopefully uh, everybody's staying safe and healthy. And uh, uh, a new dawn is ahead of us. So, uh, you know, feeling good and uh, maybe with a dash of optimism. When you were on and we talked about the situation with Steve Cohen's initial offer to buy the team and the breakdown and whatnot, you were pretty adamant that he was out of it. And there was obviously – the bank got involved after that. They put it up for uh, auction. You know, A-Rod was a big player in all this. What do you think happened here? Because it was not a fait accompli, even though many people never believed that Cohen was out of it because of who he was, his background, his uh, obviously growing up uh, a Mets fan, having the cash, of course. How did we get back here? What is your thoughts on that? Because it's unlikely in some ways, don't you think? Yeah, um, no, I agree with you there. It was... Um... I think when the when the deal initially fell through, um, I, I guess the the notion that was kind of surrounding this, and at least uh, initially from from what I heard, was that um, the relationship between Cohen and the Wilpons were so fractured that there was really uh, no way of coming back from you know those failed negotiations. Um, but then at the same time, you know, again, I think uh, most of us were in the same boat where we knew that. You know, Steve Cohen wanted he wanted a team, and obviously he wanted this team. He tried to buy the Dodgers back in 2011, and he failed. Um, and you know, over the last few months, with all the research and 
uh, everything that's come out about this guy, we, you know, you've come to learn that this guy uh, doesn't take no for an answer often in terms of his business dealings and his business ventures. Um, so really, he was kind of like this looming presence uh, throughout all this. And um, even in the uh, initial reports where, you know, Allen and company was going to head this uh, more traditional auction-like sales process, um, the first few potential suitors that came in, they were asking about Steve Cohen, where's Steve Cohen on this? And he was just kind of hanging back. And for that reason, I think, uh, you know, there were some people that thought that, okay, well, maybe he is actually out of this. And well, then obviously he kind of came in guns a blazing. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird how it kind of worked out. Uh, it, you know, now hindsight is obviously 2020. He never really left. Um, but yeah, there was uh, maybe a good week or two after that, um, you know, the failed talks back in February that, you know, this was it. You know, we're not going to see Steve Cohen again. Joe Pantorner uh, over at AM New York has done some really great work on this Cohen reporting. Uh, if you're an Islanders fan, you want to follow him over there. If you're a Mets fan, you want to follow him over there. AM New York does some great stuff. Uh, one of those uh, newer websites we've been following over the last year or so. Steve Cohen, well, before I get to Steve Cohen as a person, because I've been doing some reading about him, uh, how serious do you think the whole A-Rod situation was? Look, uh, let's be fair. It was an interesting group. I didn't like the financials of them all coming in with their money and the debt. But you had a, a pop star. You had an MLB icon, whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. I know that whole debate. Uh, you know, I know Jeff Wilpon would still have been involved, but you got some really creative marketing guys, local guys, also Mets fans. How serious was that? Because obviously with the minority ownership, there was some attractiveness there to A-Rod outside of the fact of what he became at the end of his career. We know Steve Cohen. What are your thoughts on that? Was there ever a point where you thought, hey, this these guys might actually steal this one? Yeah, there was a thought, um, you know, just because of the star power that they bring and the, uh, you know, the, the name recognition that they would have been able to bring to the Mets. And, uh, you know, there was this idea that they could have, you know, made New York that much more of a destination. They could have made, uh, you know, Mets games would have been, you know, not only a ball game, but it would have been a an experience, something to the line of, you know, what Knicks games kind of are. It's, it, it's a place to be. It's a place to be seen. Um, but really, uh, with their financials and everything, you know, I don't think their, uh, you know, a A-Rod J-Lo regime would have been nearly as uh, smooth as what a Steve Cohen uh, ownership will be. Um, you know, they don't have the same kind of funds. They had a lot of help uh, financially from different perspective uh, co-owners, uh, in their plan, I think there would have been a lot of chefs in the kitchen. I think it would have gotten a little ugly there. Um, but yeah, there was there was a point where, you know, you thought they might have had a chance, especially when uh, there was this idea that okay, well, if the Wilpons don't want to deal with Steve Cohen again, they're number two. Uh, they were over the um, Josh Harris, David Blitzer team, um, and they were kind of always lurking in the shadows, and even. Down to the wire when uh, Steve Cohen started those exclusive negotiations uh, in the end of August, uh, A-Rod and J-Lo went to, uh, went to the Mets, they went to MLB, and they said, listen, if, if these break down, we will pay the exact price that Steve is going to pay, um, and, and you know we'll be ready. And I think they're still kind of looming there um, with that offer just in case uh, by the very, very, very slim chance that Cohen doesn't get the proper um, approval votes from the other MLB club owners, uh, they'll kind of be there. But, you know, as, as real as it was maybe two months ago, uh, especially, you know, you, you'd see the back page of the New York Post and their faces were plastered all over it next to Mr. Met, um, you know, it went from, okay, you know, there actually might be a chance to now, well, you know, maybe it's uh, something you don't have to worry about for, for too much longer. We know, all know the narrative about Steve Cohen. Of course, there's billions, Bobby Axelrod. We know about the insider trading. You know, sometimes I think he's been lionized, and you, you don't have much public appearances out there to go by. But I was reading a book called Black Edge, which is more of an FBI book about SAC capital and the insider trading. But they spend a good deal of time in the early parts of that book 
profiling who Steve Cohen is. Guy, you know, Jewish kid from Long Island, didn't grow up wealthy, got involved in the Ivy League, a smart guy, but didn't have the legacy, so he had to work harder. Big chip on his shoulder because the wealthy kids with the nice names and the connections seemed to have it a lot easier than him, so it built the hunger. But I think one of the things you could connect from his business in hedge funds to the Mets is that he came in early. And yeah, you could go with the whole legal aspect of the insider trading, but he was an innovator. He was you know, bringing people on, forcing them to become subject matter experts in different fields so they could be more effective. Uh, the growth that he saw, again, early days of hedge funds, you know, but he's a pioneer. Uh, he's a smart guy. Yeah, he's a trader, but he, he wanted to be more than just a trader. He wanted to be more than just this guy that was able to swap stocks uh, and had the FBI after him. He wanted to have a real company there at SAC, and he did, and he does have a real company now, uh, a big company. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn from that. What, what do you know about Steve Cohen? Is, am I accurate in my assessment from what I read in that particular book, and, and what could you add to that? Yeah, I think you're spot on, and uh, I actually wrote something on him on Thursday. Uh, I had a source that's kind of been close to the situation, um, you know, who kind of was able to give me an inside look on just how, you know, Steve Cohen is going to come in uh, with the Mets ownership, and and really – one of the one of the things that I ascertained was this is a guy that, you know, he, he doesn't lose. Um, and, you know, what he might be, you know, he might miss once or twice, um, but this is a guy who's going to keep coming after you. Uh, he's a bulldog. And, and, and the source who I spoke to uh, called him a shark. Uh, he, he knows when to pick and choose his battles. And, again, when, when this guy's all in, he – he normally will find a way to get the job done uh, or get what he wants. Um, and I think that kind of mindset is going to be such a breath of fresh air for Mets fans who have been kind of forced to play second fiddle for much of their existence. Um, so I think, you know, and there's this idea that Steve is going to come in and he's just going to, um, you know, blow the team up, and he's just going to spend. He's just going to come in and wildly spend and uh, buy anybody who he thinks is, you know, going to not really improve the team, but, is, you know, who he thinks is a star and is going to bring that name recognition to the lineup card and is going to draw fans and, you know, this will be a, a 95-win team perennially. Um, yeah, you know what, that last part is true. He's going to do everything he can to put a winning product on the field. But he's going to spend so responsibly at the end of the day this guy is a businessman and he's a damn good businessman and he's going to run the Mets like one of his businesses like one of his companies one of his hedge funds and he's going to you know flash that cash to get those immediate needs whether it's uh you know a starting catcher like JT Real Muto or a natural center fielder or starting pitching help or help in the bullpen. And obviously, as I make these lists, you, you know, you sit here wondering, oh, why aren't the Mets in the playoffs? Well, there, there's a reason right there. But um, it's, it's going to be smart, responsible spending, but there's going to be spending. And that kind of, I guess, reserved approach is going to make this feel like, okay, you know what, um, there might have been concerns going into this that uh, you know, he was going to rub some owners the wrong way, that he was going to kind of be this uh, uh, outlaw who's just coming in and, and uh, shooting the league up. Uh, that, that's not going to be the case, um, at least from what I've, what I've heard, the conversations that I've had. And the Mets are going to be run like a legitimate, well-respected uh, well franchise that they always should have been run like uh, playing in New York, playing in the largest sports market in the world. And it's funny you talk about that because I, I had done a podcast, Beware of Shiny Objects. You could see the fans getting into it where there's always that winning the headlines. Even if you remember when the Dodgers, when the Guggenheimer group uh, took over and you had Magic Johnson kind of acting like he was really involved with baseball there for a bit, uh, they went out and they made the uh, Adrian Gonzalez deal. They made a big deal. They brought some you know, flash there to a team that desperately needed it. Different situation. That team was bankrupt. They weren't making payroll, but not all that dissimilar. The first move that Steve Cohen has made, and this is where, you know, I, I think you can debate 
the you know we know the move is made because there's approval situation. He's not a stupid guy. Sandy Alderson is a well connected commissioner's office MLB guy. I'm not saying he's a bad uh, uh, did bad work here, but his his track record with the Mets I think is remembered a lot better on the way out than maybe it should have been. I don't think Sandy and tell me here's my perception. It's very early. We still have to learn more. I don't think he's going to be the GM. I think he's going to be an owner liaison. I think he's more about. I think this is more about his ability to organize and run an organization than it is about building a baseball philosophy. Because let's face it, some of his baseball philosophies are antiquated. Uh, I think Steve Cohen had a comfort level with him. And I think the idea – now, you talked about in a a piece earlier this week that he wants to clean house. See, that's dangerous now because now you're going to take organizational meetings that have to happen, guys that have been in place for 24 months. Not everybody in this front office is bad. And I don't think Brody Van Wagenen is completely worthless. I think there's a value, especially with a different ownership and financial situation and with Sandy Alderson's structure from an organizational perspective. Um, Is this the cleaning house or is this more about Sandy kind of helping him get in and then transitioning it to a different baseball team? How do you see this? Because it's interesting to pick. It's not a sexy pick, uh, Joe. It's a nostalgic pick. And I'm very surprised. You know, that's where I was surprised. When you buy a new toy, you want to make a splash. This is not a splash, Sandy Alderson. This is quite a boring move when you think about it, but maybe a necessary one because of uh, the situation with Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you there. I think Sandy is uh, – he's that safe pick. And, again, I, I was speaking to a source last week, and I just asked him about it. I said, you know, really, like, you know, all, all, I, all I said was Sandy, question mark, and, and – and he just said, um, you know, it's it's to appease it's to appease the owners, uh, and and they said Major League Baseball loves Sandy Alderson, um, and and I think he's going to be that conduit between Cohen and baseball. Um, Sandy's going to be the middleman, so Cohen is going to want to get his message out, and it might be whatever you want to call it, a little too crass, a little too forward thinking. It might make those traditional MLB owners, you know, club their pearls. Sandy is going to be that middleman who's going to, you know, kind of talk everybody off the ledge. Um, and it's going to make sure that everything in Queens kind of stays stable. Um, because, you know, there, there's going to be growing things with new ownership. It's just the way it is. Um, and, you know, I think Sandy's going to be that calming presence. And you're right. I, I don't think he's going to be the GM. And, um, yeah, I've, I've heard that he, you know, Steve is going to come in and he's going to clean house. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people say that, um, you know, I've heard the rumblings about it and really, you know, obviously there's going to be pressure from the fan base who want change. And there's a lot of people that are unhappy with Brody Van Wagenen with some of the deals that he's made. Uh, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I really think that either decision that is made, whether you retain him or not, um, it's, it's not wrong. Um, I, I really can't, I, I really couldn't blast ownership or those decision makers for going in either direction because really, you know, Brody was thrown into, you know, the same kind of situation that Sandy was thrown into uh, when he took over as GM in 2011. You know, you're required to take this big market team that's run like a small market team uh, you know, and you have to run with the scraps and the pennies and try and build a winner. Um, and that's not an easy job, uh, especially for a team that can't build itself, say, like the Tampa Bay Rays or the Oakland Athletics, where you trot out a lineup and, you, and the fans go, who? Um, you know, priority number one for the Willow Funds was getting fans in the seats and getting those gate receipts and making money. Uh, it wasn't about winning. And, you know, that, that message is going to change. And it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, Sandy can perform and help build the team without those financial restrictions. And if Brody Van Wagenen comes back, it's going to be interesting to see how he navigates the market uh, without those handcuffs. Um, So, again, you know, these are hard decisions that Cohen and that new group is going to have to make. Um, You know, again, if they clean house, then – you know, that's a, that's a whole different story, and that's a whole other checklist that you're going to have to address while taking over the team. Um, and, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be difficult to kind of institute that winning culture immediately and, uh, you know, to, to put together that contending status 
um, just like that at the snap of your finger. So, um, again, either way, I feel like it's, it's you know, it's not wrong. Um, and then there's going to be people on the flip side who say either way, you know, it's not right either. So, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of just playing the wait and see game at this point. And uh, regardless, I think, you know, no matter what, it's still going to be better than what Mets fans have seen over the last 20 years. I think it's going to be hard. I have Joe Pantorno with me from AM New York. I think it's going to be hard to fire Brody Van Wagenen because of a couple of reasons. One, uh, and of course, we're talking before the Mets take on the Nationals in the season finale here at 3 o'clock. So keep that in mind. Uh, things could change uh, from the point where we talk. But organizational meetings have to happen starting tomorrow. You have to start building your winter plan. Not only that, Joe, relations between the Players Association and the owners were bad during the pandemic negotiations. That hasn't changed. Not be, you know, just because you got through a season as healthy and as successful to date as you possibly could, that's not going to make the players any happier. I don't think the players and the Players Association and the, um, the agents probably understand it, but uh, the uncertainty of gate receipts, not just because of municipal regulations, but because of people just for a variety of reasons, not even related to the pandemic, might not want to go to the ballpark, plays a huge role in salaries. You have a guy that has been on the other side that can bridge that gap, that can get creative with deals. He's a salesman. He knows the game. Maybe he was miscast, certainly in that way, given all the responsibility with a non-baseball person like Jeff Wilpon running the show. But that was the, the hand that was dealt. That We knew that as long as the Wilpons on the team, that was the hand that was dealt. And, and you could win, but it was going to be hard, like you said. I don't see we're firing him unless he says, look, I don't want to do the job under this new setup, which is possible. He has a say in this too. Gave up a lot of money to leave CAA, a lot of money. Cohen's been around for a couple of years. I know for a fact Cohen had conversations when he first bought the team with Brody and was involved in a certain degree. Why would you fire him now? At least give him the year, and you could build other people around him. He's brought in some good people, Jared Banner, Alec Baird. I just find it funny that there's this desire from members of the media and the fan base. Let's just purge it because now you're rebuilding with guys who are talented, good bones on this team to win. I don't think people, as you just said, I don't think people realize the ramifications of that. And you're going to really understand that pretty quick in May of next year when you're in a rebuild phase. They ain't going to like it either. And the whole euphoria of Cohen will wipe away. So I'm curious your thoughts. I think that's a dangerous thing to do right now if I were in Cohen's shoes. Yeah. How, how many more years of Jacob DeGrom can you waste? You know, uh, it, it's things like that. Um, the, the core is, is close to being there. Uh, you know, you, you look up and down this Mets roster, there are guys that should be here for the foreseeable future, whether it's Pete Alonzo or Michael Conforto or Jeff McNeil, maybe even J.D. Davis, uh, Brandon Nimmo, as long as he plays in a corner outfield spot. Um, you, you know, it's, they're right there. And sure, you know, there, there has been some bad luck. Um, you know, that it, it is what it is. But what's, what's really lacked has been that, you know, front office, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not even trying to describe it. It's that, it's that calmness from the front office. It's that foresight from the front office that, you know, instead of actually talking about organizational depth, they actually go out there and, and, and get it done and find that depth. So when, you know, you lose Noah Syndergaard for the year or, you know, Marcus Stroman opts out, you're not relying on Rick Porcello and, and Michael Waka, who are coming off career worst seasons, to try and keep the bullpen, uh, the excuse me, the, the starting rotation afloat. Um, it, it's stuff like that, you know. It's it's Edwin Diaz who struggles coming into uh, situations with men on base, um, and and it's bad decision making. It's uh, you know making sure that you have enough reliable bullpen arms to uh, you know win or hang on to five more games last season so you can make the playoffs. It's all these these little things that have to add up. And right now, the Mets as a whole just don't have the wherewithal to do that. And it's, you, you know, it's it, it, it's going to be a tough sell if, you know, Steve Cohen comes in and he does clean house 
And all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a year-long acclimation period. And Jacob DeGrom's already in his 30s. And Mets fans were, are already impatient. And, you know, if you have to tell them, all right, guys, well, you know what, we need like a year. Or we might need two years uh, to get all of our ducks in a row. Um, you know, is, is that the message that Mets fans want to hear? You know, there's going to be some fans that say, well, you know what, we've waited this long, what's another year or two? But then at the same time, you're wasting years and prime years of generational talent. And, uh, you know, how easy is it going to be to get that kind of arsenal again? So, um, yeah, uh, you know, firing Brody Van Wagman does come with those, you know, potentially risky ramifications unless, you know, he has, you know, Steve Cohen has an ace up his sleeve that we don't know about. But, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously we've seen it. It's not easy to build a winner in baseball. Um, it, it's certainly not easy to do it under such pressure here in New York uh, when you don't have the right pieces in place at the top. So um, there, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these guys moving forward. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not one that, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now, that's for sure. No, and you have to think about the fans. You have to think about selling this team. Generation you've lost. Uh, Wilpon ownership was 18 years. You've lost a lot of fans to the Yankees, to other sports. I don't see – I mean, Joe, let me ask you this, putting yourself in what you know about Cohen. I see no reason why you can't do both. Now, I think it's going to be hard to have a functional team opening day when you upheaval the entire front office, including Brody. That's why I'm skeptical of them doing it. But I don't see why you can't compete with an offense that's a top offense in the National League. We know they need a lot of starting pitching. There was a lot of bad luck in that. The bullpen has been an issue – for 15 years, maybe outside of Addison Reed familiar tandem for about a year and a half, the bullpen's been a mess going back to 2006. That spans Sandy's tenure. Uh, I don't see why you look at this team and you're like, this is in 2010. You've got the bones to compete. I, I would hope that he sees that because those that want to sit back and do fantasy baseball mogul and sit back for five years – because for whatever the agenda is, other than you know maybe getting some access to some people that come in at a very uh, young age and low level, I don't see how that's building the Mets brand. And I don't see a guy worth $14 billion spending, let's assume, 25% to, you know, 20% of his net worth that's going to sit back and, and wait for the plan to execute in 2027. I, I can't see that, but do, do, am I, you know, what do you think? No, I'm with you. Um, I, you know, Steve Cohen didn't buy the Mets to – uh, you know, have them wallow in the middle of the standings for multiple seasons. Uh, he's coming in and he wants the Mets to win now. And again, he's going to do everything in his power, basically, uh, to make sure that they get there. And you're absolutely right. The bones are there. And um, I, I think what really is going to help with this team over the top, and it's something that he will institute, um, is, is going to be legitimate analytics. Um, it's going after, uh, you know, players that, well, they might not be the best known, but they're going to help deliver that winning product. And again, you know, this whole notion that, you know, you need stars or you need a recognizable face to get the fans in the seats, which has been like that Wilpon mantra for the past 20 years. Um, that, that's garbage um, because what gets people in the seats is winning, is winning ball clubs. It's finding those diamonds in the rough like Brody Van Wagenen did do with like a guy that's like J.D. Davis. Um, it's what the Mets did with Jeff McNeil. It's Brandon Nimmo. It's Dom Smith. Um, again, to, to an extent, it is. It's Jacob DeGrom. It's homegrown talent. It's not going out and, uh, you know, trading away your farm system for, uh, for an over-the-hill guy, whoever that might be. Um, so it's, it's, I think, a team with a competent, department that can identify talent and real talent rather than name, uh, that's going to go a long way. And I think that's going to be a top of Steve Cohen's uh, list of things to do when he gets here. And I think that's going to go a long way in making sure that the Mets uh, get the ball rolling sooner rather than later under his watch. I'll leave you with one last thing, you know, just like the Knicks with Isaiah Thomas for years with Dolan, Jeff Wilpon's going to be the boogeyman. And they still own the Wilpons, 5% of the team. They still have ownership in SMY for now. Uh, 
you know, there's always that feeling with the good old boys network, Major League Baseball. Fred Wilpon still has a lot of cachet. I'm sure it's drying up. Uh, you know, Manfred is a sealed guy. But, you know, Sandy indicates there's some Wilpon handprints on this whole thing. What about the whole Wilpon situation that's going to always worry the fans? Should they just throw it out after today? Because it's it's actually getting silly now. I mean, it's almost like uh, you know <laughs> they have Stockholm syndrome, maybe, or uh, you know PTSD, uh, whatever. Could we finally put them to bed? Or because they're still in the room with the network, they're still in the room with a very small piece connections and influence. Even though it's five percent, you know sometimes Major League Baseball is a way of strong arming things. And uh, I wonder how that's going to play into this. What are your thoughts on that one? Right. Um, yeah. It's- it's, it's. I don't want to tell Mets fans right now, like, oh, you know, they're they're always going to be there. They're going to be in the back of your heads because, again, after today, uh, after the final game of the season, after this year is over, um, you're you're really not going to see them all that much. Um, they're going to be like most minority owners uh, of ball clubs, where you know most fans don't even know who they are or they don't see them and. You know what? At this point, it just might be like a legacy figurehead kind of deal. Like they're there. Um, it might not be a bad card to keep uh, in the back of your pocket, just in case Steve Cohen runs into trouble. You can always kind of call in the will punts to, I guess, do damage control if it ever got to a point where, you know, he and Manfred were, you know, on the outs or something like that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that the will punts are going to cause any kind of threat. Uh, I don't think that they're going to come in and try and muddle anything up. And I think you'll certainly see that if uh, Cohen is successful prying SNY away from uh, the Wilpon family. Uh, he's going to have a exclusive 30-day period to negotiate to get SNY. And really, in, in doing so, if he is able to get that network, um, then really the, the, the will ponds kind of stranglehold, you'll kind of really see that it's, you know, it's gone um, and, and they're gone for the most part. And, uh, you know, you, you might see them in the, in the owner's box every once in a while, or they might show up at the random event or, or, you know, a season ticket holders meeting or something like that. Um, but that's, that's just for show. That's, you know, smiles, laughs, giggles, shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'd like to, you know, be able to tell Mets fans that, hey, you know, after this, your your 20-year nightmare is over. Uh, you know, you've been screaming for a decade plus for these guys to sell the team. And, you know what, they're uh, they're 99% out of the picture. And, and you know, that 1%, uh, at least for now, I think, won't be that big of a deal. I'll tell you what, they better, if I'm the Wilpons, they better figure out a way to sell that network because – and I don't know the particulars as we talk about the SNY contract with Mets baseball, but if they lose, if Cohen says, I don't need this aggravation, let me go make a deal with somebody else, MSG, whatever. Uh, you're basically left with the shell. I mean, there's nothing on the, on the network other than the Mets. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, and this is all, and this is all due respect to people that work there. That's not their fault. You know, investment is investment. You, if the Mets aren't on, I mean, uh, you, maybe some boxing you might watch. I mean, there's nothing that's going to generate a network of value outside of Mets baseball. So I think it's going to happen because I think he's got all the leverage going on this. He could take his team and walk. Basically, at some point, I'm sure there's an out clause at some point in that contract with SNY. Maybe not overnight, but if I'm the Wilpons, you know, you've got to look long term here, right? Because that's, that's a catch cow at that point. That's a lot of money to walk sure. away from. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I think it's imperative to, for Cohen to get SNY just to help build that Mets brand that much more uh, because, you know, Mets fans should be able to have a channel uh, sort of like the Yankees do devoted completely to them um, where it's, you know, Mets and, you know, even again, if, if Steve Cohen could get SNY and you can make say like, you know, a Mets channel devoted to the Mets 75% of the time, where you can wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're not watching either uh, a rerun from last night's game or that same sports night show that aired at 11 o'clock at night or paid programming. Um, you, if you, you make SNY that powerhouse, you go out and you get, you know, the broadcasting rights for the Islanders that have been wallowing on uh, the number three MSG channel uh, for 10 years now because, 
you know, they're not a priority to them, uh, to MSG, to that network. You know, they, they take the Rangers and the Knicks and the Devils before the Islanders and stuff like that. Um, if, if you're able to add another dimension there instead of, you know, you have Mets coverage and then you have reruns and then you have, uh, you know, a Jets pregame show that, again, no disrespect to anybody who works there because I obviously watch a ton of SNY. Um, other than the Mets games, you're not really watching SNY. You're not watching that channel. It's, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, if, if Steve Cohen's able to get that and, you know, instill some more of that Mets culture and maybe a little bit more New York culture, uh, you know, he's making that much more money and that's all going to funnel into the team and that's going to funnel into his funds and uh, that's going to help the franchise out that much more. Joe Pantorno, sports editor, AM New York, at Joe Pantorno on Twitter. Follow him. Joe, what do you got coming up? I'm sure you have a little bit of football. Uh, I know that the Islanders season just ended, so if you guys are hockey fans, follow Joe for the Islanders. He's got He's been on the mark here. You know, he's a guy that you should be following when uh, it's the Mets. You know, and even now with Cohen, uh, the situation coming to an end, there's a lot more sports and on hopefully on the field stuff that he could talk about. So, Joe, what do you got coming up here as we head into another uh, football Sunday? Yeah, we're uh, we're obviously going to be uh, watching closely the Giants and the Jets, and uh, we'll watch the New York football season continue to nosedive. Unless you're a Buffalo fan, then you know you have a great defense, and you know we're really happy for you. Um, and uh, you know we're going to try and sift through the rubble of what the Mets season was this year. Uh, if uh, you know most of you guys listening won't be into uh, the other New York baseball team, but. We're going to have to prepare for their playoff run as well. And obviously, we're going to keep, we're going to keep an eye on Steve Cohen. Uh, we're going to try and provide you a little more insight on the uh, potential new Mets owner and kind of find you an inside look and hopefully maybe gain some clarity on what, the, what his plans moving forward will be uh, with the front office, especially with Brody Van Wagenen, maybe even with Luis Rojas. Uh, so stay tuned. Hopefully it'll be a fun week. And uh, I, I can't thank you guys enough for reading and, and sticking with me or, or even hopping on the follow wagon too. So uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, Mike, I, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to come on here and, and talk some Mets with you. Be well, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. You did great work this uh, whole thing. Take care, my friend. Oh, thanks so much. You too. That's uh, Joe Pantorno. AM New York at Joe Pantorno on Twitter. We'll uh, we'll have more. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more right after this. Doc Gooden had many classic outings as a member of the Mets. What was his best? We asked the man himself when he joined me on the Talking Mets podcast. I think it was '85. I was in LA. Um, I think the score was two nothing or three nothing, and Gary Carter was catching me. I didn't throw a breaking ball into the seventh inning, and I remember the ninth inning. I got a couple guys. Might have been a base load. He got on a couple of guys got on base, and they had three lefties coming up. I think I struck two of them out, and then I think Terry Whitfield popped up in the game. I thought that was my best game. You know, looking back at it, just top of my head. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, final thoughts. Uh, I want to thank Joe Panterno for coming on. Great stuff uh, by Joe. And uh, look, uh, that's another season in the books. What is this? Five seasons now? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Five regular seasons of the Talking Mets podcast through a couple of different platforms. A bunch of controversies. Even Every year it seems like we have one controversy that stirs it up. But I know many of you have remained loyal, have given me great feedback. And those that have not, that have criticized, uh, I appreciate another season in the books. And look, there's a lot more to get to, and there won't be any time off here. Sure, maybe we'll space them out a little bit during the postseason, during the, the World Series week, but working on a couple of things, uh, working on a retrospective look. I'm hoping to have that in the next couple of weeks. I think we should do a deep dive into some of the wish list stuff every year around this time, mainly revolves around free agency but maybe do like some of the wish list of what we like to see the Mets do and with a little bit of money to play with maybe we could be a little bit more bold a little bit more bullish with some of our wish lists so we'll do our wish list podcast over the last couple of years it's been searching for a GM searching for a manager I don't know if that's going to be a situation we're going to be faced with again I just don't see it like I said it's a 
tear it up now. I think Brody gets 12 months under Sandy Alderson. Maybe Brody says, listen, now that they're bringing in Sandy Alderson, I don't want to be a part of this thing. You know, my power has shifted. You know, my power has been taken away. My situation is different. We'll see, uh, especially considering I don't know what his contract looks like. Um, you know, even if there's a couple of years left, he may want to get back into the agency game and get back to his profit center, which made him quite a bit of money. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays. But assuming he'll be here, um, I think we have a lot to talk about in terms of the team. We got some retrospectives. I know that there was a lot of feedback throughout the time when uh, we had no baseball about how some of the throwbacks were fun. Even we were going to do some of those in January. Then the whole sign-stealing thing came about. So there's a lot we can get to, and, and I'll continue to be here every week. And, of course, if you want to interact with me, go to TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. You can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know the deal. Any podcasting service you desire. And if you want to tell me I'm great, you want to tell me I'm horrible, you want to throw me an opinion, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well, that's it. That's a wrap for the regular season. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another year, another regular season edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. We're off to the off season. Hopefully postseason baseball is in our future in the coming years. New ownership new era. It'll be interesting. Until next week, take care, everybody. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the podcast.